unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So on our last episode, actually, you mentioned that uh, that due to the wildfires and stuff, you had had a, a couple of issues, but you're feeling a little bit better now. And I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, no, we, we've had more than enough rain to cleanse our atmosphere and I'm feeling good. Also got some sleep. Nice. All right. So I, I didn't get a chance to say that on the last one because it was just jam-packed full of so much, full of so much good information. Um, that I didn't want to interrupt, but uh, I'm glad that you're feeling good and we're we're back to doing the podcast. And, you know, I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you introduce this week's episode. Sure. Thanks. So have you ever played dominoes? Or you know what a domino is? It's like when there's sort of black, you know, small tiles and they have dots on them, right? Playing dominoes like where you slap them down on the table or playing dominoes where you put them up one next to another and you tip one over? Yeah, exactly. Where you where you put them up one one next to another and you tip them over. Okay, yes. So I've played both dominoes. I think the second one is my favorite way to play dominoes, though. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot easier and usually doesn't end up costing you money. So what I want you to do is imagine if you had a little tube of super glue and you put it on the bottom of the last domino and you really let it dry and you just tried to knock that domino over probably wouldn't work, right? Mm -hmm. But suppose you took a small domino or you made that one a small domino and you had some really big ones in front of it and you started to push them and one would knock the over. By the end of the last one, it could probably even knock over the one that was fixed to the surface with super glue, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. You would think so. Yeah. So the reason I create that tortured analogy is because it has a lot to do with the secrets of the clothes, as you will see shortly. And although every domino has a specific number of dots on it, what I'm about to say has no dots at all. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, and finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Domino's... Ask you, do you know what picking an apple, checking out at the grocery store, and getting someone to accept a marriage proposal all have in common? I I cannot even imagine. Okay, well, if you want to pick an apple, maybe all you're thinking about is picking an apple, but there are a few things that come before that apple is ready to be picked. You need soil, you need sunlight, you need water to grow it, you need a tree. And then you need the growing season. After all of those things have produced the apple, it's pretty easy to go up to the tree and pick a ripe apple. Now, checking out of the grocery store, there's really some steps before you get to the cashier. Making a list, which is optional. 
going to the store, which is necessary, getting a shopping cart, which is optional, getting the groceries, and then waiting your turn in line, which is highly recommended, and then checking out. Okay. So checking out, actually, there's one, two, three, four, five things that have to happen before you check out. And what about getting someone to accept the marriage proposal? And if you just go up to someone random in the street that looks pretty good and say, hey, you want to get married? I don't know. But if you find a person you like, ask them out, you go on a few days, you get to know them, meeting their family up to you, and then asking them to marry you, you'll have a much better chance, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Closing is like picking the apple or checking out the grocery store, or getting someone to accept the marriage proposal. It's, it's really the last step in the process. And so many people focus on, well, what clothes should I use? How do I close? What are the words? And as you can see, if you put all of the weight and all the pressure, or you need to put all of your muscle into the clothes, maybe it's not going to work so well. But if you do a good job on the previous steps, then it's not all that difficult to do. Mm. And so I guess the question would be, what are the previous steps when you're closing? So that's what I want to talk about today. I can tell you have some thoughts. So what are they? Yeah. I just want to go back to your example of dominoes. There's videos on the internet where they show people will have different size dominoes. And the big domino will be the last one at the end. And there's no way the first domino could knock it over, but a domino can knock over another domino that's just a little bit bigger. And then that one can can tip into one that's just a little bit bigger. And that one can tip into one that's just a little bit bigger. And then eventually it can knock down this big domino that would have been impossible. Otherwise, it kind of sounds like that's what you're saying. If you know how to sequentially lay out your dominoes one after another, that last domino is not very hard to knock over at all. That's right. And it it actually gets to one of the first points that that we're going to talk about in, you know, all the things that happened before closing. But if you have a very large domino as your next to last one, and then you have that little domino with the super glue, the amount of momentum from a large one, all of the other ones coming over, it's, it's probably going to break the bond, the bond being the money that your prospect is holding on to so tightly. Now they want to release it so that they can have your excellent offer. Nice. Okay. So I've got a really good visual analogy to kind of go with as we're going through this episode in my head. So uh, yeah, let's jump into it. How does, how does this work? Okay. So there's three main areas and each area has little components. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is not like the components of copy, write this first, write this second, write this third. We've talked about that in lots of other episodes and people probably know that by now. What we're talking about is something a little more abstract, uh, a, a, a little more almost poetic or or, um, I mean, it's, it's very real and it's very tangible, but it, it, you'll see. Like, because the, the first thing your copy needs to have is energy. Now, where does energy come from? I mean, you go down to a gas station and, and soak your piece of paper with gasoline. I don't think so. No, energy comes from confidence. And confidence comes from 
enthusiasm. And then that confidence and enthusiasm will lead to momentum. I mean, that's what's going on with the dominoes, you know, with the, with the tree and the marriage proposal and the groceries are sort of broken up into stop, start, step. So with the dominoes, it's a very smooth thing. You, your copy needs to have energy. And one thing that's going to allow you to write with energy is to have all of the doubts and the, you know, stoppers inside yourself out of the way. And that energy will come when you have enthusiasm and confidence and momentum. So a lot of that comes from feeling congruent with what you're doing. A lot of those things will come from from our next step. But I'm sure you know what I mean, Nathan. There are times when you're performing or when you're creating, writing, ideating, that things are just going smoothly, nothing's in the way, and you have a lot of momentum. And there are other times when, you know, you couldn't come up with the next word if your life depended on it. Yeah. And one of the other things that you mentioned that I would like to bring up is also sales is the transfers of enthusiasm. And if you can't be enthusiastic and if you can't portray that enthusiasm in your writing, it's really hard to get the other person to be enthusiastic about buying. That's right. I mean, it's hard to say which words convey enthusiasm and which sentences do, but when you're feeling it and you express it, somehow it comes through. You can, you can see that. So this, this next uh, part, part two, it, it, it really has uh, three components to it. And th- this next part is called preparation and context. These are things that happen before you start writing. And we've talked about them a little before, but I, I think you'll understand this in a different way excuse me, when we, uh, when we get to it. So for your copy to really work, in other words, for the person to welcome the close or at least not resist it, you need to meet the customer where they are, not where you'd like them to be or where you think they should be, but where they really are. And there are a couple of things you can find in breakthrough advertising. Now, my book's Breakthrough Copywriting. We're talking here about Gene Schwartz's book, uh, Breakthrough Advertising, which is, you know, as books go, expensive and worth every penny. And I think you can find it online at breakthroughadvertisingbook.com. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, If that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. 
So Gene Schwartz is, has a couple of chapters in there. One of the chapters is about the five stages of customer awareness. And we won't go through all five of them today, but let's go through a couple. So stage two of customer awareness, there are five stages. Stage two is where your prospect knows about your product, but they don't want it yet. They might know a number of them and they might prefer a different one, or they might just know a number of them and they haven't decided which one they want yet. So that's one stage of customer awareness. Here's another one. It's stage five. Your prospect is completely unaware of your product. They might even be unaware that there's any kind of product like yours. So it's not that they're aware of your competitors and they're not aware of yours. It's just a completely unaware prospect. Okay, there are a lot more people in the second market. They're harder to sell, but if you can sell them, that's great. In in stage two, the first market, it's a lot smaller and it's a lot more, a lot riper. It's the apple ready to be picked. So you need to know which of those five stages your market is in. And then secondly, Gene Schwartz has another chapter about stages of market sophistication. Um, it's from Breakthrough Advertising. It's a different chapter. And so it, let's say we'll just talk about a couple of those. For example, if you're in the market, if you're first in the market, you're the leader. You know, the the um, pioneer gets all the arrows in her back, his back, you know. Um, if you're first in the market, you're going to write a very different kind of product than, or you're going to write very different copy about your product. And if you're deep in battle, with your competitors in the fourth stage of market sophistication, uh, what's called a red ocean uh, market in the blue ocean, red ocean, red because the ocean is just just striated with blood because there's so much, you know, to the death competition. So if you're in that that stage, you need to know where you are compared to your competitors and how your market sees where you are, and then you need to write in such a way that your market matches up with what your prospects want to read. So you can see how knowing these two very precise things is like triangulating the prospect to identify them in in 3D space in a way. I know that sounds complicated. What I mean is to know exactly where they are. Then You speak to them in their language. That's the third thing, knowing the customer language. If you sound like them, then you will engender trust. They'll feel like you belong. You're you're one of them. If you sound different, that makes them uncomfortable. It makes them much less likely to buy. And even if you sound like them, if you approach them like they know a lot about your product when they don't, or you approach them like they know nothing about your product when they're just trying to decide between you or two competitors, you can see how that's going to make closing an uphill battle. So you want to get those things straightened out. The way I like to think of this is you want to have, when somebody first joins your copy, you want to have it a feeling like they're hitting the ground running and you want to have it hitting the ground running at the speed that they're already running. So if they hit the ground and they're running a lot faster, say uh, they're a warm market who doesn't need any um, 
You don't have to inform them about anything. You don't need... And they hit the ground and they're running uh, 15, 20 miles per hour and you're only traveling. The ground's only moving at three miles per hour. They're going to trip and fall and it's not going to be experience a good experience for them. Same thing the other way. If you're trying to sell to somebody who's already well aware and or the way you're writing it is for somebody who's already well aware, already running 15, 20 miles per hour, and you try to deliver that to somebody who has no idea what's going on, and they're only traveling themselves at three miles per hour, again, they're going to get swept up, they're going to fall, they're going to tumble. So you need to have your copy match the speed at which your person is running when they hit the ground so that it's a smooth transition in. Yeah, I I love that. Um, That's actually a better way to say it. And yeah, um, so the Gene Schwartz stuff is tools to figure that out. But ultimately, it's not analytical. Ultimately, it's it's kinetic. It's moving. It's just like you're talking about. (laughs) That's really good. There's one more piece of of this after we talk about how fast the ground's moving, how fast the customer's moving, or the five stages of customer awareness, five stages of market sophistication, knowing their language. There's one more piece of it. And that is making a good enough, believable enough promise to hook the customer. And we've talked a lot about that. We've we've talked about promises in other episodes. We've talked about big ideas. We've talked about hooks. I think we had Mr. Big Idea himself, Joe Schrieffer, on to talk about it. So we're not going to go into that too much here because it's available on other shows on copywriterspodcast.com. But let's just talk about why this is so important and what it needs to have. It, it's important because when you have a promise that really resonates with your prospect, that means you know your prospects well enough so that you can do this. And then you need to get specific enough so your prospect can visualize your promise in action. I mean, you're a, an artist and a, you draw comics and you do other things. So you're, re, you're a very visual thinker. You've developed that. And when you talked about, you know, hitting the ground running, that's something people can visualize very well. When I talked about dominoes, that's something people can visualize very well. When I talk about the grocery store, people can relate to it. I'm not sure. Well, they, you know, they can visualize it, but not in the same way. You know, it's not as, it's not quite like a movie. It's, it's more like a, a a slow crawl of lemmings. (laughs) So, um, you, you need to get specific enough so your prospect can visualize your promise in action. And then you need enough proof that actually convinces your prospect. It's not like you have a checklist and you go, oh, I put proof in it. Like it needs to work and people read it. They need to believe it. and. We, we talk about proof in other, other shows too, but you need to have enough proof that convinces your prospects that what you're saying is true so they believe you. So, you know, if you can think of all of those things we've just talked about in the second area, preparation and context, that's really going to set people up uh, very favorably to buy something, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to proof, actually, I have an example of that. One of one of the guys that's in one of my masterminds, he runs a he runs a community called the Twenty Five K Club, and a lot of the people that are in the community have actually gone 
way beyond 25K in their businesses, but he keeps it named the 25K, 25K Club because that's what's most believable for the people that he's going after. If mm-hmm. he made the promise of what he actually delivers, he's seen a decrease in people signing up. So he keeps it at a believable promise, even though he's able to over-deliver that because the believability of the promise is so important to actually getting people to actually follow through with making the commitment. It really is. And, you know, it's also a a great example, though he might not be thinking of it this way, is under promise and over deliver. I mean, he says 25K, but actually turns out to be a lot more. Well, you you don't usually blame someone for that. Now, if he (laughs) says you know, 250K and the best you can do is 100, he'll, they'll definitely blame you for that. So it's a really good example. I like that. Nice. Did we have anything else before we're out of here? Oh, yeah. There's a third thing. After you do all those things, the final category your copy needs is a strong, emotionally popping summary just before the close. And this is so important. And I've seen people leave this out. And often... It's hard to do this because you're so tired after you finish writing your copy that you just don't have the oomph to do it. So sometimes it might be good to write the summary before you actually get into all of the knit and grit of the copy. So the the summary comes after the offer, you know, but before you actually put up a payment link or ask people to make a phone call or send them to an order page, whatever you do. And a summary is typically it's very tight, very factual, and it's arranged in a way that is exciting and compact. It's the sum total of everything they get. It can be bullet points. It can be a paragraph. It's staccato. Boom, 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 boom. Not the long, languorous, flowing, relaxed, summer hammock kind of thing. It's like, you need to do this right now because here is what you get. Yeah. So after, especially with a long form sales letter, after they've gone through, there might be a lot of things that they either, you know, the the things that they just read are the most pressing on them. They might've forgotten some of the points that you made earlier. They might've forgotten some of the benefits, but right as you're going to transition into that, into that close, bring up those most powerful things again, so that they're fresh in their mind before you ask them to, to make the commitment. Right. And, and the important thing here is that the energy and the pace need to be high. You don't want to bog them down in such a detailed summary that they lose all of their excitement. You want to keep the excitement going. Mm-hmm. So important. And it's, it's one of those things where I don't know if there's a way that you can tell people how to do it, but as you're reading it, you can definitely tell if that energy is there. Yeah, I think the the best way is to look at a lot of sales letters, watch some infomercials, attend webinars. Some of these things are are sort of, I guess the word I was looking for is qualitative or subjective. In other words, they're experienced. It's like you, you can't do it by, you know, paint by numbers, but when you've been through it enough yourself, through that experience, you know what it's like. And and then, you know, here are some of the ways to help you get there faster. So, yeah, let's wrap up. If you, if you do your energy part and your emotion and uh, prep and context and momentum right, and you have a good, strong summary at the end, you're speaking in the language, you're meeting them where they are, 
you'll hardly need any pressure at all. You just need a good, straight, confident, straightforward close. You might want to put a little urgency, put a time limit on it, you know, um, let, you know, maybe a crossroads close to let them know if they don't make this choice, you know, what the downside is. But that'll work. Let's just review it all again. Energy comes from confidence and enthusiasm, leads to momentum and good preparation and context. The second area, it comes from knowing the stage of customer awareness and the level of market sophistication, which leads to talking to the customer in the right language. And finally, a good, strong summary before you're close. When you first told me about this episode, I was worried that there was going to be overlap from other episodes, but this is pretty much all fresh stuff on how to actually get the clothes to work. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this week's episode, David. Well, good. I, I was too. I mean, it, it, it took me a while to figure out how to do this because these are things I've noticed. I've never heard anyone talk about. I've heard people talk about the summaries. I've heard people talk about pieces of it, but I've Never had seen people put it together before. So glad I was able to pull it off. Definitely. So when you're going to write the close of your sales letter, definitely keep these things in mind. And do we have any idea on what we're going to be talking about next week on the the podcast? Yeah, we do. As a matter of fact, a best-selling copywriter is soon to be a best-selling fiction author. And he's going to tell us what's the difference between what copywriters know about storytelling and what novelists know about storytelling you'll need popcorn for this one nice all right i can't wait okay until then if you want to get your copywriters podcast fix head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and make sure that you like subscribe and rate the show on itunes help us get into the ears of more listeners and uh, we'll catch you next time yeah thanks see you next time Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.